0: Hi everyone. Gosh, this is amazing. Uh, so good to see you. Um, it's really good to be back in the fellowship as a church community um, with other humans. We've been praying that we know that there is some social anxiety for some people as we gather together. Um, we've been praying that the 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 body of Christ, really the fellowship um, of the people of God would dispel all of the, kind of that social anxiety as we gather together. Um, also, uh, we haven't had a church gathering in over 17 months. This is our first gathering in over 17 months. And uh, you know, when when our last service was in March of 2020, uh, first of all, I, I, we never would have guessed that we would be roaming from different places uh, around the city and online for 17 months. But that we would actually reemerge having a church building of our own is insane to us. And um, we've just been thanking God. We hope that you are thanking God with us um, as we're just so excited to like make this place our, our new home. Um, but before we go any further, I wanted to say this. To the Bethel and Northgate SF folks that are, that are among us right now, um, that this is, uh, for some, they're considering this being their new home. To others, this is just hands down their new home. I want to say this. I just want to honor you and bless you for your sacrifice of bringing this building into being and carrying the mission of God onward in the city for a hundred years. And so we bless you and we honor you if you're here. And I want to say that we we need you here at Reality. We need you here. Um, And if you and even if you don't decide to stay here, I, I, I hope that you pray for us and you would ask that we as a church, reality, would be faithful to Jesus on this corner of the city for the next hundred years. So please pray for us. Uh, today is kind of like a building dedication Sunday, and that's kind of how we're seeing our, our first Sunday back in this building. We're dedicating this uh, uh, to to God, uh, back to God, and we're praying that we would enter into this building in a way that Um, would shape our formation in Christ and impact the city and shape the city in the way of Jesus as well and for his kingdom. And so because of that, I asked two people that have deeply shaped this church and me over the last 11 years to come up and give a a blessing and an encouragement as we step into our new venture together. This morning, I've asked uh, Britt Merrick, uh, the founder of Reality Family of Churches, the one who started Reality. We have several Reality churches, if you didn't know that, um, I asked him to be here. He's personally mentored me and uh, and helped start this church with us. I mean we were just kind of reminiscing and getting emotional on the side after the uh, first set of music that when we were just kind of walking up and down Valencia Street like t- 13 years ago, praying about moving here and starting this church, we never would have guessed or even dreamed that this was possible. Um, and so I asked him to be here with us, to bless us and give us like an encouragement. Also. Uh, Francis Chan, who has mentored me and has taken a big role throughout the years uh, in the teaching and training and mentoring of our church and our leaders. Um, And I asked him to be here too. So I'm going to invite Britt first, then Francis will come up just to give a a short um, encouragement and blessing as we step into this new building. So would you honor them and bless them as they come up? Thank you.
1: Good to see you guys. This is incredible. If, uh, if you're so inclined, you could do so quickly, open up to Psalm 73. If you want to do that, we are going to meet a psalmist in, in this psalm named Asaph. And Asaph is going to start with a strong proclamation. But very quickly, we're going to see that Asaph has a serious problem. But Asaph is going to find himself a place where that's resolved. The psalmist is going to start with a song. Very quickly, he's going to be slipping. But he's going to find a sanctuary, and everything's going to be okay. Psalm 73, he starts off and says, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Surely God is good is Asaph's Thesis statement. This is his proclamation. This is his declaration of faith. This is a core belief of what he knows to be true. Surely God is good. This is the prism through which Asaph views his world. This is his song of praise. Surely God is good. He's off to a good start. But Asaph has a problem. Like many of us, his life experience is confronting his core belief. Like many of us, Asaph's perception of his world is challenging his belief in the goodness of God. And the psalmist is going to testify about it in the next verse. Verse 2, he says, But as for me my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. Now notice the juxtaposition. Verse 1, surely God is good, but in verse 2, but as for me, I'm not good. I'm slipping. He's tripping. He's losing his foothold. God is good. I think I believe that, but I'm not doing so hot. Can anybody relate? Now the psalmist is going to tell us exactly what he's struggling with in verse 3. He says, For or because I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Notice again a stark juxtaposition. He says, Surely God is good, but I find myself envying the wicked when I see their prosperity. He's jealous of wicked people. It seems to him that those who do wickedness are simultaneously doing well in their own lives. And he's envious. Same word as coveting. I was flying on the plane from Santa Barbara this morning, and there's some section before you get to the city and it's all woods and I love the woods I'm a wood guy if I'm not surfing so I'm looking down at the trees in the woods thinking how beautiful that is and then I see this huge infinity pool hanging off the top of this mountain overlooking this valley and the infinity pool is bigger than the house and I was coveting and then the psalm came to mind and I realized I just I just assumed the person was probably wicked too I don't know, if your infinity pool bigger than your house, you're probably wicked. <laughs> he's tripping. Surely God is good, but he finds himself envious of the wicked. He's struggling with his perception that those who do wrong also seem to be doing well, and it doesn't make sense to him, and he's soul sick about it. And we're going to discover that the reason he's soul sick is because his perception is broken. In fact, we see that he's believing outright lies. Verse 4, he says to the wicked, they have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. That can't be true. Everybody has struggles. He says in verse 5, they're free from common human burdens and they're not plagued by any human ills. That can't be true. But this is what he perceives to be true in the moment. He's actually believing these things that are very clearly untrue. You know what I'm talking about. He's believing things. He's perceiving things that are very clearly untrue. And his whole mindset is being shaped by that right now he continues in verse 6 therefore pride is their necklace they clothe themselves with violence from their callous hearts comes iniquity their evil imaginations have no limits they scoff and speak with malice with arrogance they threaten oppression their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth therefore their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance and they say how would God know does the most high know anything this is what the wicked are like always free of care, they go on amassing wealth. This is how he's seeing the world, and in part he's seeing it correctly. He's seeing that there is truly wickedness, there is truly injustice, that there are oppressors, and that there is corruption in high places, but he has a skewed perception of it all. Seems to them that these people's wickedness and Corruption and power come with no problems. And it also seems to him that there's no accounting for God. How would he know? And he finds himself lost, verse 13. Surely then, in vain, I've kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. All day long, I have been afflicted, and every morning brings new punishments. Now he's being a little bit dramatic. It can't be that bad, Asaph. But he's starting to think, you know, maybe it's in vain that I've lived for the Lord. Maybe it's in vain that I've tried to do the right thing and not the wrong thing because it seems that those who are doing the wrong thing are getting all sorts of good things and I'm sitting here suffering every day. Man, he is lost. But his problem is not the wickedness in the world. That's always been there. That's there right now. That'll be there till Jesus comes and fixes it. His problem is not the wickedness in the world. His problem is his perception of it. Now he starts to come to his senses a little bit. He confesses and says in verse 15, if I had spoken out like this, I would have betrayed your children. He keeps his mouth shut. He's not processing with anyone. Then he says in verse 16, when I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply. Pause right there for a moment. He's thinking about it. He's trying to wrap his mind around it. He's trying to process by himself his way through this problem of how he's perceiving the way that the world goes. And he says, the more I thought about it, the deeper I got. The more lost he felt. Everything seemed unfair. And he couldn't see his way out of it. He dared not even speak about it. And it seemed to him that God might not even know about it. Man, he's hurting But today reminds us, and this passage reminds us of a place, a space, where these kind of things get corrected. The very next verse he says, until I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood. He was slipping, he was tripping. He was misperceiving until he came into the sanctuary of God. Then he says, I understood. And that's what this space is meant to be. It's a holy space. It's a sacred space. It's a space where we can expect the clarity of God, the truth of God, and most importantly, the presence of God. And what we believe in reality is the moment in the presence of God changes everything. And that's what we're dedicating this building to the presence of God. <laughs> that, like Isaiah, we'd walk in and see, say, I see the Lord. And the train of his robe fills the temple with glory while he's on his throne. He's exalted. He came into the sanctuary of the Lord. He came into the sacred holy space. And there his perception was corrected. Man, this is what this space needs to be. For us, the church, and for the world around us. Because we all find ourselves slipping like Asaph. And so many of our neighbors that we love are tripping like Asaph. And to come into this space and to be corrected. Now listen, when we're hurting real bad, it's not enough just to have an explanation. He does get an explanation in the next few verses. Verse 18, we'll just read that one. He says, surely you place them, the wicked, on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. There is a bit of explanation that comes, but when we're really hurting, it's not an explanation that we need. It is a revelation that we need. And the sanctuary of God is a place of revelation. And all of a sudden, our confused little buddy begins to see clearly. And he says in verse 23 But I'm always with you. You hold me by my right hand. Just moments before, he didn't even know if God was involved in the equation. And now he sees that God had always been with him and that God holds him by his right hand. He goes on to say, it is good for me to be near to the Lord. Yes, it is partly what we do out there in and with the mission of God. But it all comes from what happens in here in the manifest presence of God. And so, God, we dedicate this space. Jesus, you are the revelation of God. You are Emmanuel, God with us. And for us, it is good for us to be near to God. And so we make you, Lord, our refuge. And we ask that you, by grace, as you have in so many ways for a hundred years, that you, by grace, we ask humbly now, more than ever would manifest your presence in this space. Your healing, restoring, renewing, corrective, strengthening, refreshing, empowering presence. For we need it, God. The city needs it, God. Our world needs it. Thank you that we could come in here slipping and tripping and full of all sorts of wrong ideas and be in the presence of Jesus who knows and understands and gets us and who is high and exalted on the throne. God, fill this house with your glory. God, fill this house with your glory. We dedicate this space for such a thing. In Jesus' name, amen.
2: Wow, so powerful. Okay, and here's the crazy thing. I'm listening to you the whole time, Britt, and I'm going, this is crazy, because we did not talk beforehand. We haven't talked in 10 years, okay? (laughs) We used to be like close, like I used to love you. And, uh, And as I'm listening to him speak, I'm going, this is exactly, what the Lord has placed on my heart to share about his presence. You guys, I believe God has a clear message to us today about what this building is supposed to be about and what reality San Francisco is supposed to be about. When Dave asked me to share, the passage that came to my mind was Exodus 3. In Exodus 3, verse 1, And Moses said, I'll I'll turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. Okay. The Bible describes These moments when a human being encounters him. Okay, the Bible talks about how there is this being in heaven who stoops down to observe the things on our little planet. Okay, and how there's a being up there who dwells in unapproachable light. That's why Moses hides his face because I know who that is now. Now that I see that I don't want to look because he dwells in unapproachable light. So there's this being up there who spoke all of this into existence. Who is completely different from us. That's what the word Holy means just other than. So different, so far beyond us. That I can't look upon him right now and live through it. But every once in a while, you see in scripture in the Old Testament, where God from heaven will somehow manifest on the earth to a human being and it's this moment of terror it's this moment of oh my gosh i'm in the flesh and i'm i'm seeing him like 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 we're in two different realms and yet the two are coming together right now Oh, my gosh, I thought it was just this bush on fire. And I'm thinking, you know, why doesn't it burn up? And then suddenly I'm hearing the voice of God and God is speaking to me. And he says, take your shoes off and don't you get any closer. This is holy ground. It's this moment when God and man intersect. And it's not just this, oh, I felt so warm inside moment. you got to understand that. And as I thought about. Oh, God, if this could be that type of space. Where you don't just come because to hear a good teacher. Okay, Dave is a great teacher. I mean, I not that we compare or whatever, but I go man in San Francisco. I don't know of a better Bible teacher. Now that I've moved out of the city, so I great, great teacher. Okay. Obviously, the worship is just so beautiful. Tyler's done a great job. I, and this is the first time I've seen the band forever. You have my favorite drummer on the earth now. <laughs> I'm sorry, I've never. Okay, so. So everything and even the gal that gets up in the beginning got the coolest voice in the city and, you know, so everything is great, right? You've got you've got so much, but I know Dave's heart. This is it's not about creating a space to get a people on a platform where you interact with people on the platform. We're going could this be a space where heaven and Earth come together? and where for the first time you guys okay just just a week or two ago i I have seven children and uh a couple grandkids but my um i've got a couple in high school and okay pastor's kids it's just you never know what's going to happen with them right sometimes they're great oftentimes in prison so So, you know, there's no guarantee just because I follow God that my children will. And and I have no control over them experiencing God. I can't can't make that happen. Two weeks ago, my 15-year-old and 16-year-old go go away to this summer camp, and, and, uh, and my son FaceTimes me, you know, from camp going, Dad, Dad, like he can't even talk. He's like, Dad, I got to tell you what happened. I got to tell you what happened. And I've never seen him talking like this. He goes, we're experiencing God like like, like, like never before. And he, he was explaining how the night before, his buddy Jimmy, he goes, you know Jimmy? I go, yeah, yeah, Jimmy. Jimmy is a 17-year-old kid. Jimmy has something is wrong with his voice. <laughs> Like this, and hey, hi, Mr. Chad, nice to meet you. Like, and I'm like, oh, you know, I know this kid, and and you know, I I, I just I even looked into like, is there something doctors can do? Because I'll pay for it. I don't like this kid growing up like this. I can only imagine what he's heard. All, you know, no, he's been to specialists. Everyone, nothing you can do. He goes, Dad, last night during worship, you know, this is all just a couple hundred high school kids. He goes, people started getting healed. Like, 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 they're not even asking for healing and they're getting healed. And then they begin to worship. And he goes, Jimmy, starts singing. And a different voice comes out and he grabs a person next to him. He goes, listen to me. And the person next to him just screams and goes, no, no. And he goes, you got to get up there. You got to tell everyone. Jimmy runs up on the stage, grabs the microphone, and he goes, listen to what God has done. And everyone. No. No. Everyone just starts screaming because they all know him and love him. And he just starts preaching this 17 year old kid for like five minutes on the grace of God. My son's telling me the story. He goes, we are all screaming. We were beside ourselves. He goes, but then. The fear of God hit us like. We're in his presence, he's really here. And he said, We just all fell on our faces. He goes, Dad, I was just shaking. Because we knew God was in that place. And I'm telling my son, I go, I I've never even encountered something like this. This is something special God is doing right now in this generation. Then my 16 year old daughter She's telling me. She goes, "Yeah," and then I, I thought I was sitting under something because I kept feeling this dripping on my head. Now, this this my daughter is not, uh, not like weird spiritual at at all. Um, in fact, she was one of the ones I was praying for, you know, just just wanting to really connect with God. She goes, "Dad, water was dripping on my head." So I'm like, "Where is that coming from?" And. But every time I'd feel my head, there was nothing and I could feel it dripping down my face. And I'm going, what is this? And she goes, it was spoken to me. An angel is anointing you with oil. Okay, this is I've never heard of anything like, Okay, so it's it's weird to me as dad. I just know my 16 year old daughter and nothing like this has happened. And she says, I just was crying, sobbing uncontrollably, what the Holy Spirit was speaking to me at that time. And I'm just marveling at this stuff. I'm going, you guys, you're experiencing like that. Like like heaven is coming down in some form and you're experiencing him and they don't even have words for it. And they're like, we don't want to leave this place. Can we just stay here? I'm like, no. Um, But seriously, like they've come home and they are just different people. They've been changed because they went to a place and it wasn't a great speaker. It wasn't whatever else. They just flat out encountered him. And I am hoping. That. This never becomes like a ritual. Oh, we just show up on Sunday morning. We listen to a sermon, sing a few songs or whatever. But you walk in this room and when you see that bread and the cup, you realize, oh, we're talking about the presence of the body and blood of Christ. Anything could happen in this room because I have come in this room because. This isn't enough for me. I want to experience what I was made for. I was created in the image of God. Yes, I'm flesh and blood, but I am also spirit. And I was made to encounter the holy and be one with him. And I want to come here and I want to experience almighty God. And so father, Father, we cannot force these things. God, I can't make your spirit fall. I can't make the angels do anything. But God, we want that, Lord. We want you. Oh, God, we want to fall under the fear of God and know that we met with you. We want to fall under the grace of God. And know that we've been freed by you and empowered by you. God, I pray that in this room. It would not just be a horizontal service. that there would be times where we just knew that we were in on holy ground. And were stunned by your presence. I pray for Dave. That you would make him the most humble, Pastor, spirit-filled, absent of any anxiety, clearly speaking as an anointed man of God. May he experience you. Can lead a congregation into experiencing you. May we not be content with anything less in Jesus' name, Amen.
0: Uh, likewise, I, I had. Uh, no idea what either of them are going to share. Um, I just said five minutes. I knew they'd take fifteen, but I didn't know what they were going to actually share. Um, but I think it does. Uh, the Spirit of God has like dovetailed this all together. I, I, what I what I want to share briefly, um, and I mean that, uh, is Ephesians three. I want to talk about Paul's prayer for this very thing. I want to. Paul prayed that this would happen in the Ephesian church, that they would actually experience the presence of God. And I just want to, uh, I want to walk through this just really quickly. Verse fourteen. This was their prayer. This is what I, this is my, our prayer for our church. It Says for this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of His glorious riches He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that has worked within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. What we have here is Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesus, which we hope is the prayer and our hope for our church as we move into this building. That our church would, be, would know the ridiculous love of Jesus Christ. That we would know what is unknowable. And that we, reality, would be strengthened by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that God would do the impossible in this church. That's what we're praying for. That's what this prayer does. This prayer is all about experience. That a church would experience the presence of God. It's about having such an encounter with the living God that nothing is ever the same again. That's the prayer. That's what I pray for my daughter. That's what I pray for our church. That's what happened to me. That's why I became a follower of Jesus, not growing up in the church. I had an experience with the living God that from that point on, nothing was the same ever again. It is one of the pillars of this church. It's one of the values It's one of the things that we believe around here. It's actually like the number one thing we believe, like the first thing. Like as Britt said, we believe that nothing compares with experiencing the presence of God. And our greatest hope is that people would experience the living God together in a place. We believe place is very important. That people would experience God in this place. And to be clear, this experience is not dependent on a man or a woman, on who's teaching, or a church movement, or music, or the style of music, or the temperature in the room, or the dimness of the lights during second set, because that won't happen for a while here. And to, no, I won't, It won't happen for a while, okay? I was going to say something about night church, but I won't even go there, because please help us, God. Um, <laughs> It's because God is so radically present and His nearness is so tangibly felt in a church that nothing else has room to breathe. It's like God's presence is taking up all the oxygen in the room and the only thing available is to inhale the life of God. That's our hope. No matter who's teaching, who's leading, what the lighting is like, what the temperature is like, that that would be the thing that we gather around. And if it seems impossible, and it kind of does, to be honest, that you would go to church every Sunday and expect the, the presence of God that's so thick and so present in the room, yeah, it seems kind of impossible, but Paul makes sure that we know whom we're praying this to, who, who we're asking this prayer of, and it's now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. Now, It's impossible that every single time we gather as a church, there's something supernatural that happens? That seems impossible, but we're praying to the God of the impossible. In essence, Paul is praying that this church encounters the true Christian experience. Not churchianity, not a Christian social club, not just some good teaching or music, but that the church would encounter Christ. And this is what we say today, reality, may we encounter in this space the living Christ. This prayer is for a Christian experience, and Paul's really neat. He, he wraps everything up in three that clauses. So, he prays that you are strengthened by the, power, the Spirit's power, that you grasp Christ's love, and that you are filled with the fullness of God. There are three that's Now, I'll try to explain these, but there's kind of no use to explaining them, but I feel like I should at least try to explain them. Basically, these have to be prayed in, not taught in, so you have to pray them in. He prays first that we would be strengthened by the Spirit's power. Look at verses 16 and 17. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Notice, the power, it's not from us, it's from the Holy Spirit. And that should take some pressure off of us. As as Lindsay was sharing, as we're moving into mission on this corner, into the mission of Christ on this corner in San Francisco, as we have a building, as we are, uh, become a way more visible at a, as a church, it gets kind of intimidating, to be honest. Maybe for all of us, I feel it. I know some of you feel it too. But this should take some pressure off of us, is that the ministry is Christ's ministry, and the power comes from God. God's Spirit is where people... God's people have always found power. When the task is too large, when the army was too small, when the calling was too daunting, when the mission to spread the gospel all over the world was a bit too intimidating, it has always been God's Spirit that has empowered His people to do what is only possible with God. I'm starting to realize that's kind of the point. It's kind of the point when God calls people to do something they can't do in themselves. It's kind of the point because you see Christ's power in them and not their own power. Every single time. Britt and I were kind of laughing at first service. And we, we didn't really have to exchange words, but we were laughing because, to be honest, there were some times, probably Britt would say this is true, where when we were starting this church, he would look at me, and he's like, how are you going to do this? We were up at Buena Vista Park one time trying to film something To like tell the church what we were doing, and they were filming me trying to explain why San Francisco, and I couldn't even say a coherent sentence, and they just had to pray for me because they're like, "This guy can't even say a sentence." I, I hope this, and this is true. This is honestly true, that it, it it usually happens if you feel like, "Well, I'm not so and so. I can't do ministry like so and so." It's usually the people that don't look like they have the power in and in themselves that God uses to empower them so, God, so people know it's God, not them. This is how it works. This is how it's worked throughout Scripture. This is Moses going, but I can't speak well. God's like, well, I'll give you my power. That's kind of how it works. This is the disciples who, before the Holy Spirit comes, they're, they're idiots. And it, they're for real, they are. If you've ever read the, the, the Gospel seriously, you know these guys are not... They, they, they can't be entrusted with the gospel that spreads all over the world. But the Holy Spirit falls upon them, and all of a sudden you have the book of Acts. You know, these are different people now. This is how it works. There's that famous Old Testament passage given as encouragement to Zerubbabel, who was given the impossible task of rebuilding the temple. In Zechariah 4, 6, it says, Not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord Almighty. So now, remember that this is a prayer, Paul is praying this as a prayer, and prayer is meant to do two things at the same time. Prayer is meant to, one, connect us to divine energy, even as it makes us aware that this energy is not from us. This is what this prayer does. So it connects us with this divine energy, so much so that we realize, oh my gosh, this energy is not coming from my coffee this morning, this energy is not coming from my um, sleep last night, this energy is not coming from this excitement I feel. This energy is coming from something outside of me. This energy is coming from God. Reality. May you be filled with divine energy that is so real and palpable that at the same time it is filling you, you would know that the energy is not your own and that it works through you, but it is not you, it is from God. It's from God. it's the spirit's power. See, this kind of deep and genuine prayer is supposed to energize us and ground us at the same time. It's supposed to fill us and go, oh my gosh, I have energy that's only from God at the same time as to ground us going, it's not me and it's not about me. It's from God and it's about God. Second, Paul prays that I pray that you being rooted, established in love may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp to lay hold of, to understand how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And he says to know this love that surpasses knowledge. I mean, I don't know who prays like, who prays this? I want you to know something that surpasses knowledge, meaning I want you to know what is not knowable. How do you, this is a good question, how do you know what is not knowable? And the answer is you can't. It has to happen to you meaning you have to experience it. You can't learn the unknowable. You can't know the unknowable. You can only experience it. It can only pass by you or pass through you. You can only experience what you do not know or understand. And so you have to experience This is what Paul is praying. May you experience the love of God. Paul is saying that you would grasp it. Grasping means that we have some responsibility in it, that we laid hold of it, that we'd go after it, that we would hold on to it in some way. We would try at least and he said, I pray that you grasp what is wider than wide, longer than long, higher than high, and deeper than deep. What is that? And the answer is, it's the love of Christ. Reality, may you experience the love of Christ that is wide. How wide? Ephesians 2.13. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who are far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. It doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. Doesn't matter what your last 18 months have been like, or how far you've drifted from Christ, or how far away you feel like you are from God. The love of Christ is so infinitely wide, wide enough to get you and bring you back into the presence, his presence, and into Christian fellowship. It's that wide. How long is the love of Christ? Philippians 1 6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. The love of Christ is as long as you live. His love is infinitely long. He will see your life to completion. His love is able to keep you. Reality, may you experience the love of Christ that is high. How high? Ephesians 2.5 says, It is by grace you've been saved, and God raises us up, with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ. Not only does the love of Christ bring us from far away, it lifts us up to the highest of heights. It literally seats us in the heavenly realms in Christ. In reality, may you experience the love of Christ that is deep. How deep? God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The infinite depth of the love of Christ brought him to condescending depths while we were still Rejecting him. This love is not extract. It's not those pithy statements we tell each other in our over spiritualized language these days. This is real love, and we pray that this church would know this love that is unknowable. Lastly, Paul prays this I pray that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, to be honest, I have no idea what this means. How do you, how are you able to be filled with the measure of the fullness of God? That is impossible. That is impossible. Well, the third request is supposed to stretch, is meant to stretch our imaginations a bit. How could we, mortal, limited human beings, ever be filled to the measure of God and his infinity, God's own fullness? The seemingly impossibility of this intersection is part of the point. It prepares us to what follows in verse 20 and the doxology, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine according to his power that has worked within us. The literal rendering of this Greek, word, this Greek sentence is this, to do beyond everything quite exceedingly beyond measure. This is how much God wants. The point is we cannot ask for more than God is willing to do. We can't even imagine more than God's willing to do. He can do it. There is no limit to what God can do. Now the question is, do you believe that? Reality, do you believe that God can do this? Do you believe that this place can be a place of God's presence in our city? This is our prayer. The doxology is expansive because it enlarges our vision of what God can do through us more than we can imagine. And I will testify that that, that has happened, and we pray that it continues to happen in San Francisco, that God would do more than we can imagine. May it be true here. Reality San Francisco, may God do immeasurably more than we can think to ask or imagine here in our time through us broken people who are available to God.